Hello, and welcome to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. Extraordinary tales from around the globe and throughout history. I'm Dan Benson. Anthony Curcio was born in Monroe, Washington in the US on the 1st of September 1980. And if you believe in astrology, you will know this makes him a Virgo. And you may have already formulated an opinion that he would be by nature very meticulous, rational, adventurous, and something of a perfectionist. And whether it is written in the stars or pure coincidence, he certainly has these traits. And they would lead him during high school to become both captain of the football and basketball team. He would go on to play college football at the University of Idaho and marry his childhood sweetheart, Emily, with whom he would have two daughters. But his football career came to an abrupt end when he tore his anterior cruciate ligament. This would lead him to become addicted to the pain medication Vicodin. Curcio, for all appearances, seemed to have it together. He forged a career in real estate and was a loving husband and father, but the addiction to painkillers was getting well out of hand, and he began forging prescriptions and fake identities. He would even self-harm to be more convincing. The dependence on drugs branched out from prescription painkillers to illicit drugs such as cocaine, and to support his habit, he embarked on several get-rich-quick schemes, including counterfeiting collectible sports memorabilia, most notably baseball cards. During the 2008 global financial crisis, Curcio's legitimate income was all but finished, and so his dabbling in illegitimate money-making schemes took a sharp turn from petty crime to the kind of Hollywood-style criminal mastermind activity one might expect to see in a caper film like The Italian Job. Curcio hatched an elaborate plan to rob the Bank of America, After several months of surveillance, he disguised himself as a landscaper, which allowed him closer to the armoured cars which came and went, without arousing any suspicion. He would make an incredibly detailed and intricate plan, complete with diagrams and schedules, but how to escape with the money presented a conundrum. A car would be easily identified and tracked, but a nearby creek might hold the solution. What if... He made his escape by jet ski. The creek was too shallow, but that was a mere detail to the industrious Curcio, who, dressed in his landscaping outfit, began digging the creek out for up to eight hours a day. As you could probably imagine, this was slow going, so he abandoned the jet ski idea for an inner tube, with which he could just drift with the current, getting an accomplice to pick him up farther downstream, away from prying eyes. But to get from the bank with the money to the bank of the creek unnoticed, he would need a diversion. He advertised for labourers under the guise of doing a clean-up. Those who responded would be required to arrive at the bank's car park in jeans, a high-vis vest and a dust mask. And at the appointed time, they would be formed into groups and given their tasks. And so it was that on the 30th of September 2008, Around 20 or so people showed up and began milling around the car park, by design coinciding with the arrival of an armoured truck. And Anthony Curcio. Can you guess how Anthony Curcio dressed that day? If you said jeans, safety vest and a dust mask, you may help yourself to the lolly jar. Curcio, practically indistinguishable from the 20 or so others, 
walked up to the guard unloading the van, pepper sprayed him, and made off with the sacks of cash. He sprinted to the creek and made a clean getaway. Police who attended were faced with around 20 people matching the robber's description, who they then had to process, while Curcio counted his cash. Some $400,000. It was the perfect crime. Well, not quite. Curcio had disguised himself as a landscaper, thinking he would go unnoticed. But the same invisibility that allows butlers and maids to be privy to the private discussions of their master or mistress, he hadn't considered might apply to someone else. To Curcio, a local homeless man had gone completely unnoticed. When he took off his disguise and made off in the getaway car, the homeless man found this behaviour odd enough to note the car's registration, and he would forward it to the police. The car was registered to Curcio, and after a period of surveillance, the police eventually retrieved a discarded drink bottle, and the DNA on that bottle matched the DNA on the disguise. Needless to say, Anthony Curcio did some porridge. He was sentenced to six years. While inside, he sobered up and turned his life around. He began to write and illustrate children's books and became a best-selling author. Upon his release, he began speaking on the topic of drug addiction and crime. He even did a TED Talk. You can find it on YouTube if you're interested. The part of his story that I'm most impressed with is that he was able to reconcile with his wife Emily. But I'm an old romantic. Anthony Curcio, the extraordinarily meticulous planner of a heist that fell prey to his preconceived notion of social status. Anthony Curcio... An Extraordinary Tale of Redemption. Mark de Vriest was a very clever child. He had a passion for understanding how things worked and, encouraged by his father, even had his very own laboratory in the basement. Born on the 18th of August 1960, he grew up in a time when his autistic spectrum disorder was little understood by the broader community, but his brilliance with things was unquestionable, and he was considered a savant. He lacked social skills and didn't make friends easily, but he did have a very close relationship with his father, who, amongst other things, had worked for the Office of Strategic Services, the World War II-era predecessor of the CIA. He knew quite a bit about counterintelligence, guerrilla warfare and explosive devices and he would come to impart this knowledge to the young Mark who absorbed it like a sponge. Mark, as I said, didn't do well in social settings which meant school was a very trying place for him to be and he often found himself sitting alone. His father and stepmother decided the best solution for this was to send him to a boys disciplinary school from which Mark escaped, and that is a clue to why he made it onto the Extraordinarium. Later, Mark would meet and fall in love with a waitress named Brenda. The feeling was mutual, and soon the young couple were married, travelling in Mark's truck and living from odd jobs where Mark utilised his rather extensive mechanical knowledge. But their happy life was shattered when Mark received word that his father had passed away. Obviously, when something like this happens, there are loose ends to tie up, and among those loose ends was his father's extensive collection of tools. Mark had been promised them by his dad, and they held a lot of sentimental value, and so he gathered them up and took them with him. 
Unfortunately, he took them before his father's will had completed probate, which gave Mark's stepmother, with whom his relationship could be described as icy, an excuse to report Mark to the police for theft. The police came to find Mark for a brief discussion, but Mark, not fully comprehending what was going on, fled the scene. This mistake, or at least misjudgment or misunderstanding, would cost him. When he was finally found, he was charged with several minor offences, including evading arrest. This would lead to a prison sentence, but just a month into this sentence, Mark escaped. And it wasn't even really his idea. When a group of eight other inmates made an impromptu escape attempt by trying to climb a fence topped with razor wire, things didn't go well for them, as you can imagine. But Mark, who was simply caught up in the stampede, knew how to get over razor wire without injury thanks to knowledge from his dad's training in the OSS. And he found himself free. He hotwired a car and got himself a motel room, but his lack of social awareness meant he didn't keep very much of a low profile and thus was quickly recaptured and, of course, was given an even longer sentence for all the new charges he had accrued. Brenda said she would wait for him, but she would be waiting for quite a long time. There was a whirlpool forming that would pull Mark in. His savant syndrome, as it was known at the time, made him a target in prison, which in turn made him desperate to escape and he would use his brilliance and technical knowledge to do so with a fair degree of success, making seven escapes from 13 attempts and earning himself the nickname the Houdini of Florida. But of course his poor social skills made him easy to recapture, and the cycle began all over again. And some of his escapes were not just extraordinary, but astonishing. One plan he concocted while in hospital for a psych evaluation was to observe the staff during shift changes and the location of the coffee percolator. When an opportunity presented itself, he stole a bottle of LSD from the pharmacy, which was still kept in hospitals at the time, and pour it into the coffee just before shift change. I won't go into all the details, but the upshot was that it was one of his failed attempts. The staff weren't merely distracted, they were tripping so hard that security was called and the hospital was locked down. One person was even found violently attacking a washing machine, although we were unable to find out what the washing machine had said about him. But one of his successful escapes included fashioning a fully functioning zip gun out of bits and pieces he had found including toothpaste tubes and threatening his way out. When a guard laughed at his zip gun, he pointed it at a desk and blew a telephone to smithereens, at which point the guard took him a little bit more seriously. There was another occasion where Mark had observed that the prison food trays were the same thickness as the keys carried by the guards, an observation I think a lot of people are capable of, but what sets Mark de Freest apart from the pack was his ability to fashion the keys not from a pressing, but from memory. A brief glance at the keys in the guard's hands, and he could cut them from memory alone. Another notable escape was when he hijacked a semi-trailer and rammed a police roadblock whilst suffering broken bones in his feet and a sprained wrist. But if I'm painting a picture of a hardened criminal, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Five out of six psychiatrists had deemed Mark incompetent and mentally ill, 
But the powers that be took the word of the sixth psychiatrist, and Mark has spent most of his adult life in jail, and mentally ill-equipped to cope with it. The abuse he has suffered while incarcerated, I didn't deem to be fit material for a daytime radio program, and despite the extraordinary number of successful escapes and the extraordinary nature of those escapes, what's probably more extraordinary to me at least is that in around four decades of imprisonment, he was never properly assessed and treated. You've been listening to Mr Benson's Extraordinarium. Created, researched and hosted by me, Dan Benson. If you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button and continue to join me as I uncover extraordinary stories from around the globe and throughout history. Till next time, peace, love, light. Take care, catch ya.